Hit it record before I forget. All right, we're good to go. Okay. Um, and I understand there's no public comment. Uh, and I just want to let everyone know that because uh, uh, Trustee Splendorio will be on a flight until 6 p.m., we're going to defer until later the uh, chair report and if necessary, also the capital budget update uh, until Trustee Splendorio has joined us. Uh, with that, uh, why don't we go ahead uh, with the item A, approval of the minutes of the January 4th meeting. Uh, is there, are there any questions or uh, requests for revisions of the minutes? Can I do a roll call real quick, Trustee? Please, please. Apologies for interrupting. Trustee Esteem. There yeah. she is. Okay. A wave counts. Uh, <laughs> Trustee Esteem is here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. And for the record, Trustee Splendorio will be here. He's not here yet, though. But we do have a quorum. All right, back to agenda item A, approval of the minutes of the January 4th meeting. Uh, are there any questions or revisions for the minutes? And hearing none, I would entertain a motion for approval. So moved. I'll second. Okay, can we have a roll call please? Was there a comment there, Ahmad? Was that I'm you? sorry, Alan. Uh, so we we have a quorum, Trustee Banerjee. So uh, uh, you're not uh, uh, standing for All voting right. purposes. So uh, if you can get a second from either Trustee Esteen or Trustee Obligacion, please. Trustee Esteen called for a second. Will be Trustee one of the other trustees. Can I second? Yes. That's right, fine. I, I'll second the motion. Excellent. So Steen and Fox. Trustee is Steen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. And we will skip the chair report for right now and move on to the report of the chief financial officer. All right. So this is the December financial statements. To start with our volumes. Um, overall in the month of December, we had a, a pretty good mix of services. Um, you can see that in the middle here with uh, our ED visits exceeding budget, our surgeries above budget, our trauma cases above budget. Those things uh, really do um, help drive our financial performance. Um, unfortunately, we did see a very long length of stay at 6.6. .6, that's long, you know, more than budget, more than where we are year to date, and you know, full um, day over where we were last year. Uh, and so that's driving up the patient days. And of course, with more patient days, there's a lot more costs to care for those heads and beds, if you will. And we're seeing um, less than budgeted uh, discharges or individuals. Although, interestingly enough, in December, we were only 1.3% off versus our year to date at 5.8%. 
Uh, going down to the skilled nursing area here, we're still struggling uh, mostly due to COVID related restrictions and also staffing. Um, so we can't accept patients into the skilled nursing unless it's, a, it's safe for them and that we have staff to care for them. And so th that, that has caused uh, a lot of throughput issues in our hospital, driving up that length of stay. Clinic visits are also below budget, although we do have a very high budget. If you look at last year, we had 175 and we budgeted 181 or almost 182,000 uh, visits. So um, some of it is the fact that we have a high budget, uh, but another part of this is that we have a lot of vacancies in our primary care. Um, physician work RVUs are strong and um, one good thing is when the physician is charging for, you know, a rounding on a day in the hospital, we typically get paid versus a hospital, which um, if there's a medical necessity denial, we do not get paid. Question for you, Kim. If our clinic visits are behind because we don't have enough physicians, so that would logically mean that our, our patients are having to wait longer for visits. Is that correct? I believe that to be the case. I know that uh, we want to get a lot of our managed Medi-Cal patients in to see physicians, and we're really struggling to do that in a timely basis. Okay, so so really, there's a there's an impact on quality of care for our community when we have this kind of situation. Yes, and also in our supplemental funds, because if we're not seeing the patient points and we're not um, it's, it's, we're not, um, we're not getting, um, the supplemental funding that we would expect to get with having higher quality and, um, having pa those patients have access. So question for Mark, um, is, is, will we catch up anytime soon on the clinic visits, um, so that people aren't having to, you know, usually winter is the time when people get sick the most. So. Uh, if, if people are having to wait longer for clinic visits, it would seem to follow that we really want to try to catch up on those visits. Is, is there any end in sight to this? Um, Dr. Tornabeni is on as well. And Dr. Tornabeni, maybe you can speak a little to this, but um, we, you know, we're, we're short of providers in primary care and it's caused us to have to close some of our clinics for new patients. Um, uh, and we're continuing to have other access related issues as well. Um, we're, we're securing and trying to secure some help um, by way of space planning and operational um, assessments in terms of where we could improve as well as we haven't turned on the full capability of EPIC by any means in the outpatient setting to help us with efficiencies. So a lot of discussion and work we need to do around this. Alan, from my perspective, and then I'd like Dr. Tornabeni to talk a little bit about this. I don't see any significant improvement for a little while. How long? I'm unsure of, but Dr. Tornabeni. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So the areas of focus right now in ambulatory that we're looking at are recruitment. Um, this includes looking at, for example, advanced practice providers and a nurse practitioner pipeline. Um, we 
are, you know, we have a number of open positions and we're trying to keep our um, working with our HR team on keeping so-called evergreen postings up so that as, you know, as um, physicians or advanced practice providers might be available that we do have um, positions open. Um, but then there's also other items that we're looking at, everything from um, template changes and ambulatory for primary care, um, pilots that include uh, a full telehealth um, template, for example. We did that in COVID, but we're looking at piloting how to bring that back. That could potentially help with recruitment and retention if some of our physicians and advanced practice providers might be able to do some remote work as well as the in-person work. We're looking at our care teams and all of the roles um, within ambulatory, including nursing, medical assistants, pharmacy, community health workers, physicians. How do they work in concert as a team? And so everyone is really operating at the highest scope of their of their license and their and their job description. Uh, we're looking at um, impanelment um, as well, and even looking at things like our clinic hours and how do we expand access there, including looking at it in urgent care. So there's a lot of work happening. Um, and, you know, Dr. Mack is going to be bringing this um, to our ELT sometime in the next week or two, so we get some some details, and I'm sure we could. Come back here if if you're interested um, to to hear yeah. this plan. Yeah, and 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 Alan, um, ambulatory services. An update on ambulatory services is on the COO oh. calendar I developed for the finance committee. So we will get an update from them. Um, the other thing I'd like to just say quickly, if we go back to that volume slide, um, um, our skilled nursing facility patient days in January are, are up significantly, over 300. We've actually are exceeding budget for the first time in our skilled nursing units for over three years. And I wanna compliment Richard on that. Um, the, the waning, if you will, of COVID has helped us. There's fewer staff that have COVID, fewer patients that have it, and it's allowed us to ramp the census up in our skilled nursing settings. Okay, glad to so, hear that. I, I think the issue of the lack of PCPs to see clinic patients is really kind of a mission issue. So I definitely would appreciate it if you would both keep us apprised of our, of our progress on that. Chair Fox, may I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Sure. I wanted to follow up on what Dr. Tonabene said and exactly like with the CalAIM obligations that we have to be able to see it is the providers and that all of them should be um, functioning at the top of their license and how might, you know, some the medical social workers and all of the other community health workers be. So yes, uh, hearing much more ways in which like the service line plannings and these planning mm -hmm. are happening would be helpful for the full board as well to hear, but the fiscal ramifications of and the patient um, you know, impacts on this is really important mm -hmm. for us to kind of uh, hear in the in the analysis that we that we get. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, please proceed, uh, Ms. Miranda. All right. So this is the uh, length of stay graph. This has all of the acute hospitals. It does not include John George, and uh, you can see that you know there's some months that we have fewer 
um, opportunity days and other months, um, you know, quite a few more opportunity days. And unfortunately, December is pretty high at 2,655. So those are days where patients stayed beyond what would be expected. And the expected is based on um, uh, regulatory acuity models. John George also um, struggled in December, although October was probably really the high point for John George. Um, and, and again, here we're also been trending up. So here's the summary of our financial statements. Um, uh, December turned out to be a pretty decent month. We had a net income of 5.3 million, which is 2.1 better than budget. Uh, however, year to date, we're still even at 13.1, which is net income. That's positive. Uh, we're still 10.9 below where we had wanted to be. Um, in the current month, there's a couple of things that really helped us. We, it was the timing of payments for John George from the county and also a settlement that we received from Sutter. So revenue has really been um, helping us because our expenses are significantly over budget, 13.6 in the month and 10.5 for the year. So this slide I put in here, uh, it's turned out to be not as meaningful maybe as it could have been. You know, we've been jumping all over the place, but uh, the reality is we're not achieving um, the care optimization, which is the length of stay reductions and the registry utilization and rate initiatives. I think we were just really aggressive on these two items. And, and in all honesty, um, I think maybe we were, were uh, overly optimistic that the impact of COVID would not continue. And the impact of COVID has continued. We still have staffing issues and throughput issues um, because we're not able to get our patients out to, to skilled nursing or even home in some cases. So, so um, that is the story there. Um, on the revenue slide, um, you look at the gross charges, we're 10.7 above budget here. Uh, the charge volume is, is strong. Um, we had a favorable mix. We talked about that a minute ago with the trauma cases, surgeries, and ED volumes. However, on, particularly on the inpatient side here, um, our length of stay um, is high and our CMI is low. So that combination is not good for net revenue um, because if our patients don't meet inpatient criteria, we either do not get paid at all or we get an admin day, which is a much lower rate, which drives down this collection ratio. So we're sitting at a 17.7 compared to an 18.1% collection ratio. Year to date, we're at 18.4, which is actually ahead of budget. So the revenue cycle itself, you know, with volumes and with the um, with Epic and the improvements we've made, we're doing pretty good there. But we're really starting to see uh, a drop due to length of stay. And then in this particular month, we had an FY16 settlement that came through. So um, these types of settlements in the normal course of business that aren't supplemental funding 
we run through the contractual allowance. So that 1.4 did negatively bring down the collection ratio in the month. The next slide here, lots going on. Um, we received uh, quite a few pickups. We received one for the Medi-Cal waiver, that's GPP. It was for FY21, an additional 1.4 million. For um, Measure A, uh, we talked about this over the last few months that you know, we had thought that we had held the Measure A budget pretty much flat. Uh, again, thinking that people, we heard about a recession coming, we didn't think people would be spending and that sales tax income would go up. But lo and behold, it's actually doing quite well. Um, we are 1.1 million over in the month and 8.5 year to date. So um, that has uh, been a big positive uh, for us. In addition, on under supplemental programs, uh, 6.9 million this month. Um, that was this behavioral health money I spoke about, spoke about earlier. We got 5.6 million from the county. Um, you'll see in the cash graph in a minute kind of how the money flows with them. We're always uh, behind. And how we've chosen to report it is if the funding was for last fiscal year, we go ahead and record it in the current year. If it's more than one year back, we consider it a settlement and we put it in supplemental funds. So what's happened here is I'm gonna need to take 3.5 million of this and put it into our net revenue for the current year. And you'll see in the cash slide why we do that because we're always behind and we don't have a contract yet. So I can't have, the auditors aren't gonna allow me to put increases in there. So it's a it's a kind of a convoluted story, but we try to make it average out so that the, the financials make sense. So we will make that adjustment next month. And then the second one here is uh, the GME for FY23. We had some great news. Um, the FMAP, that is the federal medical assistance percentage. So this is the federal match um, was increased probably many of you know, 6.2% for the health emergency. But what happened is that um, uh, the government has now not tied it to the health emergency. And they're going to, instead of making it go away at the end of the health emergency, they are gonna go ahead and let us keep a portion of it through the end of, of calendar year 23. It'll step down each quarter but we had none of that budgeted in our financial statements. We assumed that the public emergency would be over last September. So this is gonna pick up not only for GME, but it will pick up for all of our other supplemental programs. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about the bridge plan and where we think we'll end the year. Uh, let's see here. And then the other item I mentioned earlier is the settlement. That's down here in other operating revenue. That was a uh, million dollars here, class action settlement. Basically that settlement was with Sutter. Um, Sutter was um, uh, charged with anti-competitive contracting practices, i.e. they were using their market power to compel providers to include them in their panels and they were doing so at a very high cost. So um, they, we are one of many in the settlement and, and it relates to our self-funded program and we expect to get another check. I don't know how much that will be in late summer. 
Next slide is our expense slide. And this is the same as it has been all fiscal year. Our operating expenses are over 13.6% or 13.3 million in the month, 10.5 year to date, 61.2 million uh, negative variance, most of it in labor, which we'll talk about in just a minute. If you look at these other items, um, they're really pretty close to budget. Um, purchase service is favorable. That is really the timing of Huron. There's a lot going on in my bullet up there that are offsetting year to date, but the positive variance really is the timing of the Huron contingency fee. Just as a reminder, we make sure that we earn it or have the savings before we pay anything out. Materials and supplies, that's negative, completely driven off of, you know, heads and beds, way more patients and beds costs us pharmaceuticals and food and a lot of different things. So that's the variance there. Um, facilities and depreciation, those are offsetting, and that has to do with GASB 87. We talked about that last month. Happy to talk about it again if people have questions, but really it's the way that we account for our leases. You know, we now amortize instead of charging rent expense under facilities. So here's the labor slide. Uh, and this again is our biggest variance and it relates uh, primarily to rate. We are paying our own staff more, um, a lot of overtime, but also just paying them more, which you know, is, it's been required to retain people and keep them here and not, you know, not have such high turnover. Um, in regard to physicians, it's the same thing. We've had to make a lot of um, rate adjustments during the year uh, to pay them for call and for other things. And of course, registry is, we're using much more than we had planned uh, and we are paying them still high rates. And we had thought, you know, that the staffing crisis would ease and we and the rates would go down and we are not seeing that. Employee benefits, um, this is being driven by the self-funded health um, plan. Uh, some of it here's timing, but if you look at year to date, um, our self-funded plan is over 2.4. Our self-funded workers comp is also over 0.6 and it's being offset by timing of FICA. Typically in the budget, we would spread FICA based on how we paid it in the previous year. In this case, this year, we did it flat. And as you go to the end of the calendar year, people have already met their, their total compensation that you pay the full FICA on. So what we're gonna see in January, when we start over again, the new calendar year, that we're gonna have a, a negative rather than a positive variance in FICA. So this slide here, it just talks a little bit more about the FTEs. Over here is the budget, and we had 4,718 um, FTEs budgeted. We came in at 4,815, um, and that variance is, uh, is 2.1%, um, but our adjusted patient days are actually up 13.3%. So you can see this red line here. This is where we budgeted. This is where we were. So in some ways you can say we're actually filling those beds. Yes, there's a lot of negatives with revenue and costs, but we're more efficient with a higher volume. Uh, and just going through this, we had budgeted um, 
over time at 109 FTE, we came in at 205. For the non-productive, we budgeted 854, we came in at 523. So we had thought a lot more people would be off for the holidays and they weren't. Um, the registry, of course, we had budgeted 129 and we're way over at 387. And our productive is, um, we had budgeted 3626, thinking people would be off and we actually came in at 3699. So um, moving on to the balance sheet here, just a couple comments. Our days in AR did come down, so that's good news. Uh, we're still not quite at target, but as I'm always telling people, I'm more interested in seeing the collections and the cash than I am seeing a low days in AR. Um, and we'll, I have a slide to come up more on that. Uh, and also down here, our net position continues to improve, right? It's going, it's still negative, unfortunately. We don't want to be negative, but it is improving. And our balance with the county is at 32.8. It was actually positive 50.7 million at the end of FY22. Now, this is not unexpected. We had projected we would need to draw on the line of credit. So that is not a, um, an issue at all. But um, it's nice to see that we were able to pay it down last year and we're using it as intended. So here's the AR graph, looks nice. You can see the AR days coming down, both in HB, that's hospital billing and PV, which is professional billing. Reasons for the decrease are increased cash for the month. We did better in collections than our trend. We're also finally getting the Parareva outsourced AR, that inventory we outsourced, decreased. Um, Parareva uh, had huge staffing issues and we had some some problems with um, the transition. Uh, so we've had to bring in additional resources, but we're starting to get this worked and get this down. Uh, we also saw improvement in candidates for billing. And basically what that means is how quickly we get that claim out the door. The sooner we get it out, the sooner we can get paid. And we're not at Target, Target's four, but we did improve. And PV, the main driver there was collections being higher than trend. And here's the collection slide as you know, I say, this is how we know how we're doing. Um, and we're still 11.5% better than last year, uh, which is good news. And I mentioned behavioral health that this slide might shine some light on you know, the whole situation on timing with these uh, payments from the county. So for July, that was all from last year. You know, I, I know that for sure. August, we didn't get a payment. We did get a couple payments. Some of them might be for last year, some of them for this year. And we didn't get anything in November and December. So obviously that's bringing down our collection ratio. So what happens with the county is that we have to do an amendment and we're not always timely with it getting done before the July, uh, just because it's the end of the fiscal year. And that amendment basically just um, rolls forward the rates. And then now here in January, we are actually negotiating our rates for this year and they will be retroactive back to July. So we budgeted an increase, but we aren't, we aren't seeing it. And there's always this delay. And so that's why we put any receipts in this first six month period relating to the previous year in current year collections. So that way it averages out over time. This slide is one that we did um, for actually the chat because uh, some folks, some of our staff wanted some more information on days in AR and cash. And this is, uh, you know, obviously I 
really appreciate this slide. It shows that our days in AR have never been lower. It also shows that we have never collected more, right? So, and this is pre-epic and this is post-epic. So right when we went live, we were really, really high and we've gotten it down and below where we were before as well. Um, here's the NNB forecast and we've added a year to this. So, you know, this is one of those things that kind of makes me nervous because, you know, I'm, I'm coming out there saying, I think this is where we're going to be. And you can see we're coming up close on the maximum amount we can draw on the NNB. We don't have a budget yet. Once we get the budget, I will replace this line with whatever that budget is. Right now, what we're doing is we're looking at our run rate. Um, we did for this year use our forecast, which you all are going to see in a minute. Uh, which is why, you know, it doesn't start to get really negative until, you know, next year when we really start getting into debt. So we're really going to have to monitor this as we, you know, do the budget. Um, in regard to capital, we had planned to spend 31.8. We're halfway into the year. We've spent 7.8. So we have a capital update we'll talk about tonight. And then next year, we just assume 28 million. So I don't know if that's the right number or not, but that's what's in this graph. And then this next item um, is just the major big swings of cash flow. Um, I, this one is, I always like when I bring this one out because of the timeframes, you can see the um, HPAC amendment and the AB85 realignment. And why I'm bringing that out is you see these, these crazy cash flows, and I, I, that's probably a flowery word, but you know, we get the money, we got 40 million for this um, amendment that we did. And then we have to do a calculation that takes two years to complete that determines how much of this we actually get to keep. It's a complicated formula on indigent and a lot of other things. So we're thinking from two years ago, we're gonna be able, we'll have to pay back 38 million uh, and then we're going to turn around and get another 40 million. So it's like you get it and take it away, receive it and it take, goes away. And so it really, because of the dollar amount, can skew the NNB. So we've decided just to, you know, call it out. Um, these other ones are are in the normal course of business. We, we budget for these. And so I don't, I don't have any particular comments unless someone has questions. And then these recoupments are still looming out there. We've gotten many of them cleaned up. This was uh, over 71 million last year. Uh, in fact, we were over 280 million in debt um, a few years ago. Um, these are still really slow to settle. I know that we will pay the 16.1. The FQ recoupment, I think we're gonna settle that. I'm hoping by June so we can clean that up. And then the spa, they're starting with current years and going backwards. The current years, we seem to be doing pretty well on. It all depends upon, you know, uh, how much documentation we have back from those years. Kim, could you just define spa for us? Um, it's physicians. Let's see. It is. Can you help me, state, Tangerine? It's state plan amendment. State plan amendment. Yes, it was an amendment to, to increase funding for primary care, you know, for physicians. Okay. So um, that's my report. I could uh, go through these entity financial statements. We put them in there now and, and our teams are all looking at them. And um, Mark Fransky has monthly operating review meetings and 
the team is really helping me try to get these accurate because this is the building blocks for service line uh, reporting. That's the next step for next year. Um, in this particular presentation, because we had a good month, many of our entities look good. There's only two that didn't meet budget. That's Alameda and uh, San Leandro. Um, we have not spread the performance improvement, but um, what that means is, uh, well, it's probably easier to see on the year to date, but uh, so this is just running down to the bottom line. Here's the year to date. Um, what's interesting to me is we didn't allocate the performance improvement. So we were pretty aggressive on the performance improvement, but you'll see that it had we not done that at, for each of these entities, many of them, you know, are doing pretty, pretty close to where they would have been had we not um, budgeted the length of stay reductions, which of course, you know, went the other way and all of the registry um, improvements. So that is the financial presentations. Any questions? You know, just a comment, it seems like uh, operationally, we've been very efficient in our use of labor, but we're staffing more patient days than we're getting paid for and at a higher cost of labor than we anticipated. Well said. And that is what we are seeing. Um, yes, we, we need to solve the throughput issue and, and you know, COVID, the pandemic, I mean, the impact of COVID is not over and we're still seeing it and it is definitely having a financial impact on our organization. So that begs the question, given all these circumstances, how are we gonna try to get closer to making our budget target for the year? Well, our presentation on the bridge plan and forecast is next. I go ahead and pull that up. Is that our next agenda item? You bet. Okay, give me just a second here. Signed up. Uh, let's see what happened to it. have to do it from the PDF. I don't see the actual PowerPoint on our drive. So let's see how this works. All right. So share my, share and share my screen here again. And because we have such a full agenda, Kim, can you do this in about five minutes, please? Yes, I can. Um, we can pick up a, a little bit on a couple of places tonight. So everyone can see that? Okay, so this is the overview of the presentation. So basically this first column here is our original approved budget that the board approved. We had planned to have net income of 45.4 million, uh, a 3.8 operating margin and a 3.7% EBITDA margin. Um, in that was the 44.6 million of performance improvement. So that's what got us this positive um, net income. Then when we um, look at where we're running, 
we think we will come in at 6.7 million. So uh, I'm sorry, 2.6 million net income. And that's a $42.9 million shortfall from our original budget. So we looked at everything happening in the next six months and we've, we've been, we're very fortunate and I'll show you this in a minute. We believe we're gonna be able to bring in another 39.8 million of revenue which is gonna close our gap pretty much to get us back to budget. So we'll be off 3 million in net income, but we'll be over in EBITDA 1.9. So that's, that's the great news for this year. So I won't go through all of this detail, it's there for you. Um, and our assumptions in our forecast are here. And um, uh, I can go through these if you want, but it's really mostly, looking at the last six months and saying history is going to repeat itself. Question, Kim. Yep. Uh, the other government program revenues, those have been very robust, right? So in this, like a big chunk of them, I think there's one, um, not your slide, but on the page 27 out of the 121, there is so even moving forward in closing the gap, we are depending a big chunk coming from the government revenue. The, yes. Just, yes. You are absolutely correct. In fact, I took down net revenue because of the longer length of stay. So I think that our, I took it down to budget. So I, I actually reduced it just because of the length of stay. Um, and then in this forecast, we just use budget for the governmental programs, but you're going to see in a minute that we know from FMAP and some other things that this is going to improve significantly. And I think um, the government recognizes that, you know, COVID's not over. So having said that, I'll move to the bridge plans, which I think are more important. And, and this is a little harder to read. We are working on these. The, the list is actually a, several more pages than what I'm share, sharing with you. Um, our whole leadership team is engaged in um, working, trying to come up with, uh, with reasonable um, programs that can improve our margins so that um, next year's budget won't have a gap. Uh, so I'll just talk about the items that are in the FY23 column. There's a lot of other information in here, but I'm just going to go through the, the ones that are impacting us this year. First one is um, fee-for-service rates. So we had an incorrect aid code. Well, we fixed it. So that's going to bring us 650 this year. Um, we're going to rebuild ICU because we also discovered that we had an incorrect code. It's not a lot, but everything helps. And um, to me, I think it gives you an idea about how things are going in the revenue cycle, that we're constantly finding things. Um, we also are want to start billing observation. So um, if we could just start in the last few months of this year, we can bring in 417 $417,000. So um, that is one of the things that we think we can do. Um, here's a big one. This is QIP. So QIP, um, we've learned that the COVID mitigation is going to continue for um, 
2021, and that's going to be 24.9 million that we did not have budgeted. So that is, you know, the single biggest item on here that's going to close our gap. There's also GPP related to the to COVID as well, 1.3 million. Um, and then we have got um, AB 915, and that is a settlement, another 4 million. And then I talked about FMAP. We think that's going to bring in $15.3 million. That was a really nice pickup needed. And then um, moving down here, we've got charge reconciliation. This is another project that we've got our consultant on board looking to get a PMO to help them. But we want to make sure every single department in our entire organization is reconciling their charges daily making sure we're getting paid for the services that we're providing. Um, the next one here is OR utilization. We think we can bring in a half a million basically by improving our block scheduling. And we think that we can roll that out before the end of the year and have an impact. And um, finally here, we've got the um, building out a multi-room for dialysis so we could uh, bring patients in on an outpatient and also cohort folks on the inpatient to make a more efficient uh, service that we think we could start this year and that would be another 50,000. So you add those up, that's 39.8, which gets closes our gap this year. So great news there, any questions? Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. I love seeing that. Um, Every little bit does add up. A uh, couple questions. One about um, COVID estimates and, and the budget. I know we talked in years past that COVID in the winter especially wasn't necessarily accounted for in the budget. Um, and I heard you mention that about the, the staffing and the impacts on the SNF. Throughput was impacted. We couldn't move folks from the hospitals into the, the SNF units. It, I'm not seeing much throughput being mentioned here. Um, am I missing that? Or is that something that's also not being considered? And Oh, that it's definitely in being considered. I think it's a matter of, could we do it right now within the next six months? There is a lots of efforts for length of stay and trying to um, come up with community arrangements to, to get folks out of the hospital, to improve our home health, to maybe get folks out sooner into home. I'm sure Mark would like to speak to this too, but oh, there's a lot of work going on. I thought um, I saw him ready to speak. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, um, Kim. And Trustee Estine, it's so interesting you asked the question because I was asked it today on our desktop chat. Um, our staff asked, what are we doing about getting people out of the hospital? And um, you know, in, in my mind, so much of it is structural in that we don't have good programs outside of our hospital, whereas people will take our patients because they think they're too sick, their length of stay is too long, et cetera. So we're looking at a number of things. Um, first, um, you know, we're looking at uh, working with an organization um, that can provide um post potentially up to 20 hotel beds for us um, to for our homeless patients that come into the ED. So we have a way to transition them out and not have to admit them into acute care. We're also looking at 
you know, about a $7.7 million, that's what it's coming in right now, um, to remodel Fairmont Building H so we can develop a medi, um, a medical sniff unit there, 20 plus beds. Um, we're also looking at an observation unit, maybe at, um, at San Leandro so we can transition patients out of our EDs quicker and consolidate them in a unit such as an observation unit. And lastly, the Medi-Psych unit is not a dead deal by any means. We're still looking at possibilities for that. But, you know, if we can hit on some of these post-acute programs um, internally ourselves, it's going to have a significant impact on throughput in our hospital. So that's what we're going to be working on, along with continuing to be as efficient as we can internally with our throughput. Those are exciting innovations. Uh, did you mention a location for the MediPsych? Um, we, we, were going, we were planning it on the third floor at San Leandro, but you may have heard me say earlier that we discovered because we had to remodel um, for a psychiatric type of unit, it, it made the bed complement move from 15 to about four, anywhere from four to six, which isn't a large enough unit for us. So we're walking with the architect around San Leandro to see, do we build out on the first level? Do we consider adding a story or half a story? But we really need to understand what those possibilities are mean. At the same time, you know, we're going through the Alameda hospital planning, and we need to think about would any of these programs make sense there, given, you know, where the group feels that Alameda Hospital should be heading? So there's just all this kind of coming together right now um, and being factored in in terms of the directions we take. Yeah, Thank I imagine you, that Alameda Hospital could give 100 or more site sniff kind of bids. Yeah, the Preliminarily, though, we're finding out that seismic work at Alameda is anywhere from mid 50 millions to over well over 100 million. Yeah. So we just need to explore all of those options. Yeah. Well, I'm Thank glad you. we had the committee working on that. My second question, sorry, uh, Chair Fox, I'll be really quick. Okay. With the Huron piece, I know that they get special incentives for hitting their targets. I can't remember if there's any kind of um, fee reduction if they don't hit their targets? Because I know throughput is a big one. Well, if they don't hit their targets, they don't get paid. They don't get the um, contingency fees. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working through right now, Kim and I with them about whether, what the actualization has been thus far with yeah. the care optimization program. All right, I'd rather they hit their targets. Yeah, me too, me too. But but we haven't been as highly successful with this project as I would have liked to have seen for all the reasons that have been mentioned here. Thank all right. You. Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad that we have a uh, an administration that isn't just sitting back and letting ourselves drift into a a poor financial year. But uh, you have a plan, uh, and we'll be eagerly following it for the rest of the year. So thank you, Ms. Miranda, and we're going to move on to the report of the Chief Operating Officer, uh, Mr. Harding, uh, on San Leandro Hospital. Thank you. Good evening, uh, trustees. I'm going to share my screen. I think I can figure this out here. 
All right. All right, I think you should be able to see. Oops, you see my screen, hopefully. All right, so um, uh, Mark asked me to give you an update on um, San Leandro Hospital. So again, Mario Harding, I'm oversee our community hospitals, both Alameda and San Leandro by day. <laughs> by day, I'm also uh, um, providing interim support for system support services for the health system. So, um, so and again, I've been here almost a year and a half. Um, so next I'll go to, um, just to give you a little bit of history, and again, I'll move through these, but it's always nice to have some context about how San Leandro got you know, started, um, became a part of the AHS. So founded back in 1960, as you can see, as Doctors Hospital. Um, and um, the current building that we sit in was completed in 81. There was also an ED expansion um, completed in 1991. Um, and then, as you know, um, uh, San Leandro Hospital is a as an asset owned um, entity uh, for uh, the health system, unlike the other uh, facilities, um, which are county owned. Uh, next, 69 beds. Uh, we have 13 ED beds. We're level two um, emergency department open again, 24 seven. Um, in 20, in 20, last fiscal year, we saw about 27,000 or served 27,000 patients. Again, complements of inpatient, outpatient um, services, 28-bed uh, acute rehab unit, which sits on both the third and the fourth floors. Um, also unique, uh, I guess I'd call it unique, but we sit on the same license as Highland and John George. So we're in the same joint commission window um, as Highland. And um, again, I shared with you just the services that, uh, again, as a community hospital that we provide. Um, I highlighted two things here. Um, there is a request that's been put forth um, by the bridge program to um, establish a clinic. We have some vacant space um, over at the hospital, um, um, kind of an annex space, if you will. And so um, space, the space, excuse me, Space Planning Committee approved last month um, the use of that space to expand the bridge clinic, which again, this, this relates to substance use treatment um, um, that's already happening. In one, and, um, and there's a clinic actually at Highland, um, I should mention that. And then I also wanted to just uh, highlight the pain procedure service moved over from Alameda Hospital. That was in April of, uh, la of yeah, April of last year. So, um, so it's been going pretty well uh, for the most part. Again, they're in, in one of the OR rooms um, um, there on site. And again, I, as I go through my presentations, I always use the framework for the, um, our strategic plan. These are just things, you know, as I think about in my role um, as a community hospital, uh, particularly, you know, San Leandro, how do we how do we max? How do we build volume and maximize the campus? Um, some of the things that Mark alluded to earlier, whether it's MedPsych or some other programs, um, but also what what programs make sense for the community? Um, what you know, again, San Leandro, um, you know, as a community, what should we pro be providing there from um, a, a hospital entity, patient care, HS entity? And then you know, again, a staff retention engagement, engagement as well as um, you know, continuing to find ways to 
um, achieve that high quality, reliable care for every patient that walks in our door. Um, sustainability, as Kim mentioned, um, she shared with you the entity reports, which I love these reports, only because it gives me some, um, some gl glimpse, if you will, of kind of how each facility is performing. And as you can see, year to date, um, San Leandro is sitting at a positive contribution margin. Um, and, um, and so um, definitely a great deal of work that's happening there to, to make sure we are contributing as a part of the health, um, health system to the health system. Um, the next slide here, I just, we, Kim had mentioned, we do conduct monthly operating review meetings. Um, I can say these are intense meetings, but these are like two hour meetings. I just want, I share, this is just a snapshot of, uh, of, of the data that we do review for San Leandro as well as the other hospitals. So it's, it's very consistent um, in that standpoint. But here, I just wanted to highlight, you can see our OR cases are up um, for, um, at least this is for the month of December, you can see, uh, up 60% year to date, 51%. Again, a fair amount of that, um, definitely has been vascular, but also the pain program. Um, our ED visits, the ED has definitely been busy. Um, they see anywhere from, uh, I think 85 to 90 patients per day, averaging their volume has been trending up as well. Um, question Mario. Yes. Um, do you know approximately what percentage of our inpatient admissions come through the ED? Um, not off the top of my head, but I can get that for you, Trustee yeah. Fox. Just wondering how dependent the hospital yeah. is on the ED. Yeah, I, I'm going to say somewhere between 10 to 15 percent, but I, I think I've seen that number somewhere. Um, but I want to I'll verify that. OK. Um, but good question. Thank you. Um, our, whoops, sorry, I went, um, our length of stay, and you can say our daily census is up as well, uh, 11%. Part of, I mean, a fair amount of that is in August of last year, uh, we opened the third floor of the med surge unit, which is, um, again, staff for 10 beds, and I know we want that to go up, but a fair amount of transfers come in from, from Highland, help decompress Highland, so that helps them, um, and so, um, you know, this on the other side of the third floor is, of course, where the acute rehab um, have services there. And then our length of stay, as you can see, um, I say it's relatively low. It's at 4.2 for the acute care hospital. Um, um, and, you know, we continue to look for ways to reduce that um, to some of the some of the earlier feedback that was provided. So and again, you know, I think, you know, it, like the other hospitals, we continue to be challenged on the expense side with labor. It's the same as well. So that was mentioned by Kim. Quality care, um, as I just go through this, this is our true north metric dashboard. Um, that we have this for every um, hospital um, and uh, service line for you know like post-acute. So I just again wanted you to see again, not uh, of course we don't expect everything to be green, but um, but we review this as well during our monthly operation review meeting. And so there's always opportunities on how best, what tactics. And I think that's the work that um, from my role as CAO and pulling together, how do we move the needle on the, on the things that are red? Um, how do we get traction? Um, I, I know you'll see it's for, for um, the hand washing. I just noticed this is at 0% and I'm not quite sure um, I have to double check with quality and see where that is. But 
that's based upon observations um, on, per month. There's a sample size that's required. So I'll take a look look at that. I know we have one of the lowest um, readmissions rate as well, which you see at 6.9%. So again, there's, there's anything where you see red, there's an opportunity to improve. That's the way I, we see it and how we do it from a, being a bit more aggressive. And these are our HCAP scores. Um, and you can- a quick question on the sure. last slide. Yeah. Um, healthcare acquired patient harm. It looks like it spiked uh, this the for the final. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the total for the year. Never yeah. Mind. I no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, this is you know this is um, year to date the 42. We you know we strive to to get to zero, which that in itself we re realize that's a challenge, but we're going to make every effort to try to mitigate. You know to to reduce, if you will. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that that is the year to date. Um, okay, and so again, these are just opportunities where um, I, you know, strategize for how best to move this, these um, HCAP scores to green um, to see more improvement here. I, um, I think we definitely, we saw a tick up as you can see in some, and particularly in, in December, um, but, you know, trying to get that, uh, continue to move towards our goal, um, which is where we would wanna be for sure. Uh, next, just uh, the staff and physician experience here. I just wanted to let you know some of it. We've had, you know, since I've been in this role almost a year and a half, we've had some, you know, um, just for the sake of transparency, we've had some challenges um, with our leadership um, um, there at San Leandro. Um, it's nice to know, I think we've got pretty much every position now, hire Chris Adams, um, I came in a few months ago as a VP, Erica Smith, Jacobs, you'll see she's over the med surge. Um, Joanna Singleton, our assistant manager for the ED. Um, on Monday of this week, Adam Holder started as our ED manager. Um, and we're still, uh, we're still um, seeking to hire the ICU manager. Uh, but, you know, in the year and the time I've been there, this has fluctuated quite a bit, which which, again, gets very challenging in terms of credibility, trying to um, execute on projects, um, you know, staffing and a number of other things. So happy to see that this that we'll see some stability in this um, It's something that Chris and I as you know partners want to continue to monitor. And then we're also, as Dr. Tornabene, you know, uh, we are in the process of hiring an associate CMO for the community hospitals that will be shared by, by both Alameda and San Leandro. So um, hopefully we can get that boy. And then the last thing I just wanted to mention that um, I started this off early last year and I'm just like with so much going on, sort of took a step back, but Chris is now on board and we're gonna reconvene our, we, these are town hall meetings we hold monthly. Um, they're just, you know, we update the, uh, our, um, anyone can attend from San Leandro. Here's what's going on, whether it's what's happening in construction. And then I, we leave time at the end to do Q and A. So, so we're going to pick that back up, um, next week. So I just wanted to make sure that with you and then community connections. So, uh, I am out doing tours, <laughs> no tours, but, um, a lot of work. I'm definitely visible in the community, as you'll just hear. I've been working with Michaela Hayes from the um, the VP. Of, she's at the HS Foundation. So there's been um, we've been out 
raising money. That's the best way to put it. There's been strong interest and has been in funding imaging equipment at um, San Leandro. So like the mammography unit was funded. We've got some funding from our CT scanner, which is about to get on the way. And then we got a, um, 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 a donation from a uh, not-for-profit organization to fund one of a mobile x-ray uh, unit, which will uh, which should be coming in soon, which will give us two of these units again to go around to the unit. So the patient having to come downstairs to radiology. So, um, so part of this means we go out and we talk and we highlight HS Foundation, San Leandro Hospital. So, um, so, you know, we get to have breakfast, we get to hang out. So we've done some events here with the Rotary Club, of San Leandro, San Leandro Breakfast Club. So I just wanted to share we're out and visible, um, and, and that, and then I also serve on um, as a member, board member <clears throat> of the San Leandro Chamber of Commerce. So, have a good feel of what's happening on the business side and how we can play a better role in the community. Well, good uh, to see you're getting out there. Yeah, I just have, don't have anything else to do, Trustee Fox. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I have these just two slides. I just wanted to, I just capture. This was a phenomenal um, marketing project that Michaela and her team, the foundation, put together. That um, I have this by PDF, but I just wanted you to see this. Um, we distribute this um, when we go out um, and uh, present at organizations that ask of us. So it's a two pager but gives them some, um, um, just some, you know, what about us. Um, and um, so here's the second page. So again, um, but those those events have been very successful. People have been very appreciative of the fact that, you know, putting a face to San Leandro, wow, you guys have a hospital <laughs> um, there. You know, it's, it's those type of moments. So it gives us an opportunity to, um, to share. And then, um, the next few slides, I just want to give you an idea of all the work that's happening. There is a ton of renovation and things going on. So um, we are, again, we've been remodeling our imaging, a lot of imaging um, work going on there with the mammography suite. I mentioned that, I mentioned the pain service, um, the mobile x-ray. We are in the process of finishing up the fixed x-ray room. And again, this is stuff that, you know, uh, oh my gosh, to put us on the same level with other community imaging um, in hospitals. This is so needed. So um, the fixed X-ray unit will uh, will be done. Just saw the be done um, sometime in March. I said mid mid middle of March. You know, um, and then we have we kick off the construction for our CT scanner, which is a replacement. Um, we start that project next week. Construction. We've been have we there's a trailer that sits behind the hospital. Uh, near the lot. It's been there for way too long. So these are projects that needed to happen, um, you know, for, for AHS. Um, we are also in the process of expanding um, the sterile processing department um, to support, you know, um, we want more surgical, surgical cases. Oops, sorry. <laughs> In my office here, lights went out. So more surgical volume um, at San Leandro, but we're also, as you are aware, um, the sterile processing is shut down at Alameda Hospital because of some significant risk issues that surfaced about a year ago. And so um, to expand sterile processing, this would allow us to um, service both community hospitals and to be more efficient with taking those dollars putting them into San Leandro, which is a newer facility, 
um, to to um, uh, and again, ortho express interest as well as they as they are ramping up their cases there. Um, also refreshing the lobby. So if you haven't been to, we're in the process of refreshing the lobby at San Leandro. Uh, oh my, we so needed that. And then um, I am looking to refresh the cafeteria as well. So when you see Alameda and how nice it is, people then say, well, what about us? <laughs> so I'm working with Morrison Health Healthcare um, to look at that. And then these are some of the major projects underway. So, so again, you, you know, what we experienced in September of last year, because it was just sort of, oh my gosh, um, we had some significant infrastructure issues when the heat, you know, we had a heat wave in early September that really um, challenged our um, cooling towers and chillers there. Um, so, so again, one went down and it was pretty warm, as you can imagine. That impacts the lab, it impacts the ORs. Um, and so uh, we are conducting a complete assessment. We brought in an architect. Um, they'll have their report ready by mid-February. Um, so we can see exactly how much this is going to, we're talking about, again, this is probably anywhere from, I'm going to say, you're talking about eight to $10 million. Um, I'm just ballparking because this is um, stuff that needs to be replaced. Um, steam generators, this helps support SPD. We have two of these installed. This is huge for us. These are brand new. So we have those, a third one will be installed um, and it should be later, I'm gonna say later this uh, later this month, we have, um, so we have one running, these two were running for 30 days just to make sure everything is, is doing okay. Um, a storage tank, this is the stuff, you know, state of California, uh, we found out that we have to replace the or underground storage tank there. Um, we have a, that project is underway. We have a deadline of 2025. I talk, uh, we're also bringing in a mobile sterile processing trailer. So as I mentioned, we're expanding sterile processing. But in, so that's construction that has to start. But in order to do that, we still need to make sure we're processing instruments. So we have a vendor that will come on site, um, essentially a trailer. It's just as if you're in a sterile processing department and they'll be servicing surgical instruments right there on site. Um, Again, there's some refresh things that are going in the ED. Um, I do want to look at <laughs> costing out, estimating what it would take to, to Mark's point about our ED, the volume in the ED, had to, from my standpoint, be, having been at other places where I've worked, the volume there has really surpassed what the ED was built for. Because um, So we need to you know, certainly look at um, the opportunity to maybe build out um, the ED. Also, the second floor. Uh, oh my, <laughs> when you go to the third and fourth floor of San Leandro and how nice the acute rehab looks, you walk down to the second floor, which is med surgery, and you're like, oh my, can we get some, you know, some alignment there? Um, and so that floor needs to be refreshed as well. Um, Do you think you can grow ED volume if you uh, modernize the ED? You know, I think it will help, you know, that's sort of the striking a balance. There's, there's what, what our ED doesn't have, uh, which, you know, again, what I would like to see is some level of fast track or urgent care um, to help sort of offset. Um, you know, I think it, will it help? I think it, you know, I think it'll make a difference. I think we're seeing, we're definitely seeing this uptick in volume. As I mentioned, a fair amount of it too has been contributed from 5150 patients, behavioral health patients. That is definitely ticked up when we get those patients. So 
Um, I'd like to think so, um, Trustee Fox, that, you know, that will certainly, it, it's just, it feels so congested in there. That's part of the issue. Well, my if, guess is that since you don't have OB, I bet more than 10 or 15% of your admits are coming through the ED. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that brings up another question of, since you don't have OB, where do people in San Leandro go to have their babies? Are we, 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 are they coming to Highland? Highland. <laughs> if they can get over to Highland, um, that would be certainly what, you know, what, what would be preferred. Right. Um, and, but you're right. We don't have the OB. Um, but when the patient or two does come in, they get stabilized, but, and, and, and really get them over to Highland. Um, you know, again, I know they have a choice also in, in terms of where they want to go as well. So we have to keep that in mind. Do you have OBs in your uh, OBGYNs in your medical community? There, I, yeah, I believe there are. Um, and again, you know, we have Eden Medical Center there, which I don't, yeah. I can't remember if Eden has OB obstetrics um, there. Um, I know we have, you know, we have on call for sure there, um, just in case that happens when it does happen. Um, and then we've got, a, you know, our gift shop is sitting vacant. I've been, just sort of finessing what to do with that. Um, for now, it's okay. It's just both uh, both the gift shop and at Alameda and San Leandro both have been, you know, have been sort of shut down due to the COVID. You know, our volunteers there, um, that sort of just kind of, there's an opportunity, I'll just say, to repurpose that space, whatever that could be. Uh, I'm also continuing to assess all of the admin and clinical space at San Leandro. I think I'm just putting, as I, I'm putting eyes on everything, um, it's just, there's just, um, you know, with the COVID, with COVID, with remote hybrid working, over the years, I think there's just been sort of this, I'll move into this space, I'll move over here, there, I'm just trying to get more structure to make sure we're efficiently utilizing our space. We have probably more vacant and, and underutilized space than I'd want to see there. Um, so, um, that's one of the things, projects I'm looking at um, in that regard. And so that's it. Though That was just really a highlight um, for you to know that there's a lot of work going on at San Leandro. Um, invite any of you as trustees certainly to come down, take a, you know, take a tour, uh, stop by and see, see what's going on, connect with staff and, um, and happy to do that. So, so that's all I have in terms of uh, my presentation. Any questions for Mario? Sure, I have a couple of questions. Um, Mario, um, thank you. This was a terrific pre presentation. Question one, have you met, we had new elections and we have a brand new mayor, vice mayor and city council members. And have you had any meetings with any of them yet? Not yet. Um, so I, uh, what I'm trying to do is sort of, I, I fit it in with the chamber stuff, because we've got some events through the Chamber of Commerce, which again, I sit on the board. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's on my my to-do list to meet with Juan Gonzalez, um, um, who's the, the new mayor. Um, but yes, so definitely on my to-do. Thank you. And I've mentioned this to James too. And, you know, I live in San Leandro and get quite active in mm. the community. I'll be happy to broker some of those uh, meeting one-on-one yeah. -on -one meetings with you also. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and the in terms of the staffing, so what would uh, I like the slide you had on the services, the pharmacy, the labs, 
uh, mammography and others. Uh, it would help also at some point to hear about the service lines that are there. So just to know, like we have vascular, or we have this and mm -hmm. we have this and that. So service line might also help. And then as you spoke about the staffing, I know that um, at uh, Dr. Afsari's last uh, um, report, he had said that the average ED volume has been about 100 a day. And so are we able to see if like the full ED volume for AHS and then how much percentage of that is Highland, how much percentage of that is San Leandro, how much percentage of that is Alameda Hospital, and then that might also help us with kind of equitable distribution of resources and staffing. And as we ramp up the staffing for, uh, it's great to see the new leadership that are coming in, that'll help. Um, as we ramp up the staffing for ED, are some of the ancillary things ramping up too? Um, lab, mm -hmm. imaging, pharmacy, other all of those things that kind of are related yes. to some of the ED service. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I um, you know, as we expand any program, particularly like surgical cases, because I always um, I ask the question because I've been been here and done that where make sure that we um, that we factor in that ancillary. What will it take from EBS food nutrition? for that extra patient, for that extra, you know, that surgical case. So we have to factor that in as we move forward with volume that um, picks up. So no, you're you're absolutely right. So as these things move along projects and programs, um, you know, to have lab and imaging at the table and they'll tell me off the bat, Mario, <laughs> I'll, you know, if we do X, Y, Z, I need to, you know, I need to add, you know, X amount of FTE and it's really want them to be thoughtful about adding the FTE the point in which we need the FTE, um, but no, that's very that's a that's a valid point. And 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 um, again, I just know I know there's as I said, there's so much opportunity um, at San Leandro Hospital, and uh, more that we can we can certainly be doing there as well. Um, again, just it just is, and what can I say? The parking is great. <laughs> that helps um, pretty significantly, and we're next to Ghirardelli's. The chocolate cut, you know, so, so, um, so those are things that, that, um, that, you know, uh, we just, we have the opportunity to do so much more there and capitalize on it in a good way. Thank you very much. Uh, excellent report, Mario. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. And uh, let's move on to item C1, which is the report by Ms. Miranda on the update on the capital budget. So Grace Messina, she's our director of FPNA, is with me here to do that presentation. Um, I can go ahead and pull it up if you'd like. I have it up. Um, oh, you've already got it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, just let me share my screen. I think most people know know Grace. Grace. Uh, um, Grace has been with us for how long? Grace, maybe two years, year and a half. I'm going on two years. Um, next month, I'll be two years. Uh, Kim. Uh, 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 Chair Fox, um, so uh, just wanted to run something by you. Uh, Dr. Achilles Warren has a night shift that starts at seven o'clock. Okay. Um, is there any way would you that we could 
maybe discuss the AHMG agreement first. I'll yes. leave, that, uh, leave it up to you. I'll just uh, Definitely. Uh, in, in view of that, why don't we just uh, pause a moment or a few moments on capital budget and go to item D, which is approval of the amendment for uh, the professional services agreement for AHMG. Right. Do you want me to pull it up, uh, Dr. Achilles Warren? Either way, I have it available if you if you need me to pull it up as well. I have it too. So anyway, okay. So um, we're uh, Dr. Achilles Warren and I are here to. Um, uh, notify the board that we are running over the maximum amount that was approved for the calendar year 23. And to let everyone know that we, that for next year, um, we, our estimate is we will go over, um, we'll go through the presentation together. A lot of uh, great things have been happening. Um, uh, I also want to point out that we're in the negotiations with the SEIU now, and um, we didn't want to speculate on what changes might come out of that negotiation. Uh, so although I guess in some ways we risk having to have to come back to you before another year, uh, Dr. Achilles Warren and I believe that we will be done with those negotiations and not have to come back with this agreement again. So um, with that in mind, um, I think I will go ahead and, and uh, kick this off. Everybody can see this okay, I hope. So this is the uh, reconciliation of the um, Alameda Health Medical Group PSA. So how this is laid out is to try to understand why there were differences. So this first section here, and this is for 26 pay periods, one year, calendar year 23, um, we put the folks that were in the beginning of the year and that are still at the end of the year in this first section. So that's what we call same stores. It means that you were here at the beginning and you're here at the end. So this first section here is we had planned to pay 140.7 doctors, 56.4 million rounded. We ended up paying them 58 million two rounded. So we were over 1.9 million rounded. Um, it was in the area of fixed um, pay, which is basically your base wages. And why that can happen is if you were in a different tier during the year, we made adjustments for you. Um, variable means these, this group of people did more extra shifts and call than we had thought they would do. The third one here is AHS did give bonuses, I think for the first time ever this last year. And so we agreed to give, to include the physicians in, 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 that, in that funding. We did have terminated physicians, 18.5, and we had planned to pay them 7.6. We only paid them 3.6 because they were only here part of the year. So that offset almost 4 million um, uh, against the negative variances for the not to exceed max that you all approved for the calendar year. 
Um, however, in the PSA, those funds don't actually get transferred to the group since these people quit. So the cash doesn't go to the group. Um, this next section here is net. So we had three people that came and went, so they're in here. And then there's um, a lot of newly recruited physicians. And I don't know if the folks here remember, but that was one of our goals, you know, to stabilize the group, stop the turnover and, and bring in more physicians. And I don't want to steal Dr. Achilles Warren's um, um, presentation on that, but that this is what we wanted to see. And we had only budgeted 2.2 because we had no crystal ball on how many people we would be able to attract. So we ended up going over uh, 4.8 million there. So the net net on physicians is a variance of a negative 2.7. In regard to administrators, we had 3.6 at the beginning of the year. We now have five, but they just joined us. So we still have a positive variance that will um, turn the other way going to the next year, but we figured all that in in our ask. And then legal fees were over. There were some legal expenses that, that we could not avoid. And then we were under total for benefits. That includes PTO, retirement, health benefits, everything. Um, we, you know, I, I did my best guess basic, basically for that. And we ended up being, um, um, we had transferring over a little too much money, but the net is 2.4. We went ahead and asked for 3 million, just rounded up. Um, so the not to exceed would go from 84.8 basically to 87.2. So that's that's the uh, the summary of the year. Um, before I turn it over to Dr. Achilles Warren, is there any questions on the overage? Well, I'm I'm just wondering since now we've got one year of experience under our belt. Uh, can we be confident that whatever we approve for 2023, calendar 2023, that we'll be able to stay within that uh, maximum number? I can take that. Yeah, I, I, I feel a lot more confident that we have a good handle on what our, our budget is, um, just given how much we spend on new hires, how much we spend on terminations. Um, you know, what other services that we end up um, using to support our physicians, et cetera. Um, I don't anticipate many net new expenses. I think the only variable here is the union negotiation. And um, other than that, we have built sort of a, a more complete bottoms up budget based on historical data now um, that we can be more confident in. Okay, let's move on. Great. Great. Well, I'm really thrilled to be able to kind of share the punchline of um, last year, which is that we've had some immense successes around stabilizing our medical group. And as we know, the HMG was developed to be the primary employer of physicians for AHS. So the vast majority of physicians that are employed with us full-time work for HMG, and we've actually uh, become fully staffed in a number of areas. Um, and so we do have, at this point, I feel really confident that essentially we have either all the positions that um, we need to, to be fully staffed and or vacant and recruiting. Um, I'm not expecting a lot of additions or expansions to the group beyond what is de determined by patient demand, frankly. Um, and so uh, just to kind of share some of the successes we've hired just in the last year, about 35 FTE or 34 FTE, we added a total of 60 physicians just in calendar year 2022 in across 22 specialties. 
Um, the remainder of those positions that weren't in the, that 34 um, are SANs. Um, the previous year, we had hired about, hired about 26 FTEs. So we're up about 100 to 120 physicians in the last two years, which is just remarkable growth um, in this, in this um, kind of space that, given the space that we were in before. Um, we have recruited some incredibly diverse um, uh, staffing and leadership. Um, we hired two female chairs this year um, of major departments, anesthesia and medicine. Um, we have had immense success with our compensation restructure, which you all were part of in February of last year, which has basically resulted in equity across um, uh, you know, across the physicians in terms of how they're being paid and, um, you know, how they feel. Um, and also in terms of recruitment, um, we've had lower turnover than we've had in the last three years. We actually have only had one departure since May of 2022, um, which is pretty impressive. Um, Thank you. Um, and yet all of almost all of our leadership roles are filled at this point, and we have increasing appetite for leadership just as a result of people feeling increased morale and just more sort of um, emboldened by the successes we've had in the group. So um, I'm really, I'm, you know, I listed here sort of all the areas in which we did make hires, um, which cross again, those 22 specialties. And the, the key point here is not to necessarily get into the weeds on the numbers, but more that we are, we are becoming increasingly fully staffed across a number of specialties, um, which is really good to see. I think we can go to the next slide. This is just a snapshot of kind of where we've um, come to. We have a total of about um, 330 headcount at this point, um, which include 192 FTE. Um, and so we started off 2022 with about 200 ad headcount. Um, so again, huge amount of growth, about 15% year over year growth and 30% growth overall, including all of our vacancies that we still have to fill. Um, we had a number of services at risk in 2020, at the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, which we've really reduced to uh, a couple of key services that we're working intensely on, both in terms of compensation, um, but also just work terms of work. And um, these will be areas that we work closely with them, um, with SEIU on. Um, we still have vacancies, but most of these open roles don't represent sort of critical roles in terms of, you know, needing to shut down services, but more um, vacancies that are expansions and or just driven by demand. Um, and we've reduced our departure departures significantly, as I mentioned. And then lastly, just to kind of summarize come up some of the successes from the last year, I think this is this is going to result in some reduced costs for the system overall. We've really reduced our locums and contractor usage. We're transitioning many of our SANs to permanent staffing so that we have more sustainable call burdens among specialties. Um, we are, uh, because of our um, the compensation restructure we did last year, we're really seeing most physicians being paid at the median um, of national surveys, and that has resulted in a lot of um, pay equity across the system. We don't have an ER doc sitting next to another ER doc getting paid different amounts of money for the same work. Um, it's also, we're also very competitive in the market. I've had very few people um, come to us from a recruitment perspective and say, I won't take this job because of the pay. Um, and that's been a huge benefit in terms of um, us being able to recruit um, in our in our local market. Um, and we've successfully recruited as a result from Kaiser, from private practices, from top tier training programs, um, without anyone actually even asking to negotiate the base salary. Um, so that's been really, really positive. And I guess here's a graphic to show that. So this is uh, W2 or total compensation in these graphs. 
So if you look at this, last year we started at 95.2% of median. Uh, and you can see for specialists, it was less, uh, we were closer to median on primary care. So now we're actually at the uh, 104th percent, uh, above, so above median. And what you have to remember is, is that the surveys also um, pay increased, right? So specialties were up 4.8, primary care 1.8, only peds dropped um, during this survey period. So we made up not only from, uh, from where we were last year, but we also got up and above the median in total. So um, overall, we're providing more than median comp to the group. So that's good news. Um, I do have a concern that the total work RVUs are only 77% of the median, and we need to work together to get this up to the median so that it's a sustainable compensation model. So that's what is that a challenge. Mean, what was that? RVU, can you explain that to us? Sure, uh, RVU, and, and this is a work RVU. So, so basically, if you look at the, the Medicare fee schedule, they've assigned work RVUs for every single thing a physician does, and that's how Medicare pays you. And what the survey data does is they use that methodology and they collect it for the whole country, and we can benchmark against it for all patients. It's a measure of productivity. Yeah. So, and if my memory was a little better, I could tell you what the one was. What procedure was the 1.0 work RVU? <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, it's a it is a a great way to be to be able to benchmark. So this is this is good. Uh, we got to, uh, we still have a challenge here, but we are we can safely say we are at least passing over um, overall for everyone more than the median. Um, yeah, and th that challenge is exactly where we're headed. So, you know, my goal was really to stabilize the com composition of our group, make sure that we had bodies in the door that were, um, you know, part of our culture, part of the team, you know, feeling like they were sharing the the work um, equitably, being compensated equi equitably, and really just kind of increasing the morale and um, of this group, which I think we've successfully done. Um, and then really thinking about performance. How do we actually make sure people are fulfilling the mission of the organization um, and, and being productive? Um, and so we've actually invested quite a bit in that next phase um, already. I've kind of outlined this according to our pillars, but we are building a, a physician dashboard um, in process right now with phys physician champions at the helm um, and some outside resources to support um, physician education around how do you ensure that you're billing correctly? How do you make sure that you are producing the most that you can out of, out of the work that you're doing? And then how do we actually benchmark what you're doing relative to a, what an average person in your specialty um, you know, is supposed to be doing and or your peers? And so I think we're going to see a lot of improvements in um, physician performance, not just on productivity, but on a number of quality and operational metrics that are included in this, this dashboard that we're making efforts to make visible across the entirety of the medical group. And this will eventually extend to the whole organization to all physicians, including contractors. But starting with the medical group is important because we're the most cohesive sort of employment pathway for physicians at this point. Um, and then our, our goals are always to um, 
to continue to increase our the diversity and the representation of our physician workforce with the community uh, diversity. So that's a huge um, part of what we continue to do as well around recruitment and retention. Question about the incentives that I see on quality and sustainability. How is the productivity and the, the quality metrics, how will those be used to incentivize? Right will, now, they're, they become they're, structured based on that? Right now, there aren't any incentives. There used to be um, sort of a withhold, um, a 10% withhold for some physicians um, that were supposed to be based on um, an incentive program that ended up not sort of being standardized. So our first goal is to get physicians accustomed to data and kind of looking at their own you know, data, whether it's around chart closures or RVUs or around a length of stay or um, various metrics that are important to them and the system. And then to think about, you know, probably some sort of incentive program that maybe at the specialty level initially, maybe at the individual level eventually, but really to reward high performers for essentially just doing their job. So um, I you know, I don't know what this is going to look like yet. In fact, we have recruited um, some outside consultants to help us with this. And this is going to be something that's probably discussed over the next one to two years. Um, but the first step is really to get um, data in front of our doctors so that they can actually see how they're doing. All right. Thank you. What, last, one last question. How did we come up with the 77% currently if we're just starting to collect data? Oh, because we have all of the RVUs in our system, everything that we build for, it's all in Epic. So we can we can run it. Um, uh, I don't think there's questions like what a, a for a particular CPT code you build, what the RVU is. I don't think that's the, the issue that we have. It's more about who gets credit, the attribution of it, people understanding it. Uh, and those are the things that... Uh, Dr. Achilles Warren and her uh, task force are looking at. Thank you. And I heard earlier, Epic is still not in primary care. Are there any other service lines that Epic is not active in? Uh, no, Epic, we use Epic to bill um, all of our services except for John George. John George is still on paper with the county because the county is over 90% of all responsible for um, pain paying us for those patients. So we do that all manually with them. But other than that, Epic is used for everything. And those doctors are all contracts. So contractors, they wouldn't be under this model anyway, right? The psychiatrists are not under HMG. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So then I have a, a, a summary slide. Are, are you, any other comments there, Dr. Killis Okay. No, that's all for me. So then this is uh, kind of what, what it looks like. Um, so we started back in 2021 and uh, this current year PSA um, had a 13% increase at 9.7 and we went from 154 to 159.2 FTE. So that, that was needed because there were, you know, a few years there where there were no increases. And as Dr. Killsworn talked about, there were, you know, a lot of turnover and a lot of um, um, issues. And then during this calendar year, we did end up recruiting um, and we ended up paying an additional 3% for those agreed upon um, changes to the PSA during the year. And then now we're looking at an increase of 11% or 9.8 million for this next budget year. And again, this, um, 
this does not include anything with SEIU. This is just with who's here, when they're going to be hired, and what their salary is going to be. So there's no increases, no colas, no nothing. And then if all of the folks stay and nobody quits, the next, the commitment for the next calendar year would be um, an additional, not really that much money to basically $99.2 million. So that's the, the growth in, the, in this PSA contract, which includes rate increases and additional FTE. If everyone stays, we would be at 198.9 um, hired FTE. The green, which is the blue, the green is variable, which includes SANS, which are, are um, hourly type people. But the FTE counts here are only um, hired benefited doctors. So that is what we are looking at currently. I don't know, Dr. Killisworn, I know that you want that you plan to recruit more. And I, I know as we budget for next year, we'll need to address those. Um, I don't know if you have any other comments. We did include our guiding principles as we went through these different negotiations, if um, just for the um, for education purposes more than our presentation today. I would just add that there is no more critical strategic effort than bolstering the the size and satisfaction and quality of our medical staff. So this is incredibly important work. Yes, it is. <laughs> Would somebody like to uh, make a motion to approve, uh, to approve uh, the resolution? I just have one more question. We're only going through fiscal year 24 and not beyond. Well, we're thinking that there will be a new agreement with the SEIU mm -hmm. and we'll be back to the board. So what we decided to do here is just um, basically renew the existing PSA based on what we know today with no increases, no recruitment budget, just what we know today. And our thought is that we would have uh, coming back to the board with, a, with an agreement with the SEIU probably sometime in the summer. All right. Any other questions, comments? Can we have a motion, please? I'll make a motion to approve. Second. Second, thank you. Can we have a roll call, Madam Clerk? So Esteen moved and Nellie seconded to amend the PSA without, with Alameda Health Group to increase the annual compensation year by 20, 2023 by 12,300,000 to 97,100,000, right? right. And, we'll, and we can just round those numbers. Okay. All right. Uh, trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. And uh, Trustee Splendorio. Aye. And what I should have clarified there is that this is to recommend approval to the full board. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Excellent. That's how I'll I'll, I'll uh, put it in the minutes. All right. Thank you uh, for a heck of a year, Dr. Akila Swarn. Thanks so much for your support. All right. And that uh, closes out item D1. And we're going to go back to item C1 on the agenda.
uh, the capital budget update. Good evening, everybody. This is the capital update as of December 2022. Uh, oops. So this is um, our, our total projects for the year are $108 million. This includes the carryover from prior years. And then what we approved as new capital requests last year are FY 2023 and a $4 million contingency fee. We have current year amendments. There were some projects that went over and so needed a little bit more funding. And so that was on 349,000. And we went over uh, 976,000 for the contingency to date. Um, but we also added in a million dollars expected for more contingencies between January and June. So that gets us to $110 million of the current approved budget. We've spent to date, $45 million, $45.8 million, and we have a committed capital of $65 million. Where uh, projected cash flow is, we're gonna be spending $19.2 million in by the end of the fiscal year. We had approved a cash flow of $31 million, so we have a positive variance of $12 million. A lot of these things have been postponed to 2024. In 2024, we already have $25.7 million that we are planning to spend, and the future years are $20 million. Um, with can, I, this, can I ask you a question, Grace, please? Sure. Uh, it looks like if you look at spent to date since the beginning of the year, just for, 20, just for 2023 projects, we spent $101,000, right? In the first yes. half of the year. But yes. then if you go over two columns, what you see is that by the end of 2023, we will have spent 5.2, almost 5.3 million. Yes. So if I understand this right, we expect to spend 5.1 million between now and the end of the year or in the last six months of the year. Yes, a lot of our projects has been delayed. And so they're gonna come live by the end of the year or before the end of the year. Like there's some in March and some in April. And you'll see that in some in the next slide. Okay. And so that that's when the expenses comes in because they don't usually bill us or invoice us until the project is complete. And then sometimes there's a lag. Okay. So typically, um, historically, we've had a capital budget of about $30 million that we approve for cash flow every year um, based on an EBITDA of 3%. So if we're looking at 30 million for next year's, we're already planning to spend 25.7 million. And so we may have to rearrange some of our priorities. And maybe if something comes up for capital spend next year, we might have to delay some other projects just to accommodate everything. But if we have some uh, serious needs, isn't it also possible to spend more than the 3%? Uh um, we'll go into debt. Yeah, so we'd, we'd have to just take the money on the line of credit with the county. And as you saw next year, we're getting up right. towards mm -hmm. the top of it. So, okay. uh, and we don't want to have to stop a project in the middle. So we really have to control cash flow. So this is just a category between carry forward, new capital emergency. This is, you know, the categories you've asked for before, whether it's compliance, um, equipment, infrastructure, IT, and strategic plan. So it's just a divot up a different way. 
Any questions? So this is some of the capital that's over a million dollars um, for us. And so, for example, the kitchen remodel Alameda, that actually has been completed. Um, there was $27.8 million in there, and we've spent to date $24 million um, and, you know, another $13,000 um, in 2023. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to close this project. Um, so we may or may not spend the 3.5. We're still looking into that. Um, so some of the things that are coming um, coming is the, the Tesla MRI that's been a few years going. That's going to be completed this year. So we should be able to spend most of that. Um, the Epic Data Arc project, um, it's going to come in under budget. And so we're, we should be spending a million dollars when we close out this project. So a lot of these things you can see are big ticket items the x-ray replacement at San Leandro, the CT scan replacement, some of that, if they don't go live by the end of this year, which I think they're gonna be going live um, towards early part of 2024, most of the expense is gonna be in 2024. Um, the Kronos workforce for, dimensions, that's actually going to go live in April. So the invoices will be coming in, you know, in, in April, May, June for that. Um, any questions, the expansion of the Eastmont Wellness Center, we're at the very, very beginning of that. So we're not going to spend, we, we uh, approved it last year, but we're not going to spend that much this year, just the design phase. And then most of it will be going toward the next couple of years. Um, there, we're waiting for our um, hiring of a specialist for ERCPEUS. Um, so that may be on hold until 2024. Steam generators, the Epic Beacon, um, that's going live towards the end of the year. So most of the spend is going to be in 2024. And some of them are coming in under budget. Um, the sewer line, you've heard that earlier with, um, with Mario. Um, there is some um, pause in this right now because they found some mold after the demo work. Um, and then we have this document imaging, which is going to start in 2024. So most of the, the spend will be in 2024 instead of 2023. The biomed refresh, we will be getting that spent down. It is a multi-year um, and that was how it was planned. So we will be spending everything that we had asked for for 2023 cash flow. Then the enterprise imaging is um, it's in, currently in the evaluation phase. So these are the capital over a million dollars currently. Any questions on this so far? And then these are the ones between 500,000 and a million dollars. Um, some of the items are on hold and to be reevaluated. Um, so that's why um, there's cash flow coming out of here. The network refresh, we will spend that in 2023. The Cisco phones, we're awaiting contracts. So most of the spend will be in 2024. Um, and that's all I had for the capital update. Um, earlier, Mark mentioned some really exciting things, building another level on San Leandro Hospital. Uh, what is the timeline that we could expect to start seeing? You know, I don't know if the hotels is something that we would see if that would be an outside community-based organization. It sounded like it probably would be a CBO. Um, when would that show up on the on this graph? 
Um, mm. Some of the plans, I, I, I probably would defer to Mark. And yeah, when it de on. it'll depend, I think, Trustee Esteen, on you know we can we can spend dollars from our current capital budget on design plans. Um, in some of these, that's where it's at. Um, so, for example, if Fairmont Building H at seven point seven million dollars, we'd have to determine whether we have the capital dollars to start that this year or budget that 7.7 .7 in July, on July 1st of, of next year. Um, the, the homeless hotel concept is a monthly, um, almost like a, like a subscription. It's a monthly amount, um, if you will. That con and it would be a contract that would come to the board, so it wouldn't be capitalized. Um, the many psych unit, we'd have to, you know, acquire some design dollars in the capital budget and move forward. I don't see that really happening um, until probably second quarter of this year um, and then possibly budgeting into next year. So it really kind of depends on where all this work is at at any given time. Thanks. Those are great timelines. Well, I'm wondering, has anything come up during the course of the year that wasn't budgeted that is a fairly significant need that we need to somehow fit in or use contingency for? Yeah, um, Trustee um, Fox, we the sewer um, work at South Shore is one of those. Um, it's a million dollars right now. It could be upwards to one to two million dollars more, depending on what they find in the building. We also know that we're doing an assessment now of the infrastructure at San Leandro's, the, the boilers, the chillers. Um, we're putting sterilizers in, but those are all significant capital projects along with that same type of work with boilers and chillers and infrastructure work at Alameda. So we're looking at some of that expense probably coming out of this year and then budgeting into the next year for the remainder of it. How about on the uh, on patient care side? Um, so on the patient care side, we're finishing up prop, and, and I think we've had budgeted this year almost all of our radiology work um, that has to be done. We are looking at um, robotics for next year. That's in the it's in the queue for planning, um, and it might be that we can get to the point where we can budget potentially. Um, planning for robotic surgery um, at Highland for the coming year, which would be pretty cool and would help um, with our recruitment of especially urologists and, and other specialty docs. So there will be some kind of strategic clinical ideas that come forth um, with, our, with our current capital planning that Grace is starting us out on now within the next month. Okay. Any other questions? All right, thank you for that report. Appreciate that update. And we'll look forward to seeing the capital budget uh, toward the end of the year. Um, the one thing that we have not gotten to is the chair's report. Um, and with only five minutes left, I would like to defer that to next month. And the discussion that I wanna have, uh, particularly among the members of the committee is how well is the committee working for you since we're near the beginning of a new fiscal year? 
Uh, are you seeing the kind of information that is helpful to you that you can understand? Are you getting the kind of uh, informational and educational reports that you wanna see? Uh, what are your suggestions for agenda items for the 2023 calendar year? Um, and how do you feel about the way the, the committee is, want, is running and operating? So we'll, we'll take that up first in the March meeting. Um, anything else to come before the committee? Going once, going twice. Okay, you owe us five minutes. Thank you, have a good night. Thank you, Chair Fox. Good night, everyone.